And so, the Scottish Parliament is in recess, but politics continues all around us. The First Minister has her daily briefings and is on Covid reset. For the Prime Minister, he's in tears, triggering local lockdowns across England. And then Wales closes its border. of times now to help give us the best of times at Christmas. Disgraced Margaret Ferrier is unbowed and votes by proxy in the Commons. And denying Westminster its internal market bill, the Scottish Parliament says no. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Hollywood. It's the Prime Minister who is undermining the United Kingdom here and undermining the efforts of people like me who want to make the case for a United Kingdom at a time when growing scepticism is to be seen here in Wales about Wales's future within the United Kingdom. I want to make that case. I wish the Prime Minister had helped me to do so. Matt and Va. Welcome to the first of two special editions of the programme during October recess. I'll have more from the Welsh First Minister shortly, but first, it's the worst of times to help us get the best of times. The First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, is clamping down on us now to help ensure we can have a Christmas that's as normal as possible. She's not setting out a timetable on that just yet, but as this programme reported previously, the investment now is to help salvage the festive season for families and business. This week, I asked Nicola Sturgeon in her daily briefing if she's planning tighter enforcement of the restrictions and regulations. Thank you, First Minister. Good afternoon. It's a local radio day today. And community radio stations from Dumfries to Portree carry your briefing live. Our listeners understand the need for the extended regulations or restrictions, but many are asking us when and if you plan to enforce them more vigorously to help ensure greater compliance. Thanks, Charles. There is always a very careful balance to be struck between encouragement and support and enforcement. And at times we will need to use enforcement, um, but we want to try and avoid that by encouraging people to do the right thing for the right reasons. The police, as they uh, do regularly, will uh, issue the statistics on things like fixed penalty notices that they've had to issue for house parties or people breaching the regulations more generally. So enforcement has a part to play, and we will continue to look whether uh, whether there is a need to increase uh, enforcement. Now, that could either be Uh, taking things that are currently encapsulated in guidance and making them the law so that they come with enforcement and penalties or where things are already the law, increasing the penalties for breach. Um, And we keep all of that under review on an ongoing basis. But by and large, we prefer, and I prefer, uh, to encourage people, and where necessary as we're doing with the uh, payment for self-isolation, to support people to be able to comply with these things. Because it goes back to what I said earlier on, we are all in this thing together and doing the right thing for our own sake and for the sake of each other, I think, is what we should seek to encourage people to do. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. Nicola Sturgeon is putting us on this reset to primarily save lives, of course, but also Christmas. And the First Minister is pleading with Scots to forego their traditional autumn break in Blackpool because of the pandemic. It's a call that's infuriated the operators of hotels and guesthouses in Lancashire. 
It comes as reports emerge of old firm fans planning to travel south of the border for this weekend's game, being played without fans but on television. The First Minister is calling on fans not to go to England to watch the game in a pub. If you were thinking about going to Blackpool and you haven't booked yet, then please do not go this year. Even more specifically, uh, because we know this is an issue and I want to be very clear about this, do not travel to Blackpool this weekend to watch the old firm match in a pub. If you do that, you will be putting yourselves and you will be putting other people at risk. Please do not do that this weekend. And if you, otherwise uh, not related to the football, have already booked a trip uh, and you can't cancel it without cost and you're determined to go, then please, please think very carefully indeed about how you travel and what you do when you get there. For example, quite a lot of people who've contracted COVID and who have also been to Blackpool have travelled by coach. We understand that that is very common, particularly at this time of year. Now, again, that does not mean that they absolutely necessarily got the virus on the coach because we can't be certain about that. But if you have to travel to Blackpool by coach or if you travel by any form of public transport, then try to maintain physical distancing and make sure you wear your face covering uh, throughout the journey. And once you arrive, and I know this is really difficult, don't spend much time indoors and, and don't, if you can avoid it, spend time in pubs and bars and other hospitality venues because doing that significantly increases your chances of getting the virus. That stay-at-home message is also coming from the First Minister of Wales. Mark Drakeford is telling people who live in high-level Covid areas not to travel to his country. In effect, it's a border closure, supported by Nicola Sturgeon. I have therefore asked for the necessary work to be brought forward, which would allow for devolved powers to be used to, pre- to prevent people from travelling into Wales from high-prevalence areas of the United Kingdom. Speaking on Channel 4 News, Mark Drakeford says he regrets the Prime Minister has failed to help his Labour government in Cardiff. We do have evidence of it. I've published evidence uh, today from a very recent genomic study that shows that this is what happens. We have a wastewater survey that we are part of uh, alongside England that demonstrates that when people come into Wales, they can bring the coronavirus uh, with them. So... This is not a theoretical issue. This is a real issue. But isn't this also leading to, you know, the fractiousness, of the breaking up, if you like, of the United Kingdom? Matt, I'm a supporter of the United Kingdom. I believe in the United Kingdom and in a successful United Kingdom. It's why I wrote to the Prime Minister twice and raised it with him in person. He could have acted in a way that would have had a common rule across England and Wales. And we wouldn't be having the sort of conversation we're having uh, today. It's the Prime Minister who is undermining the United Kingdom here and undermining the efforts of people like me who want to make the case for a United Kingdom at a time when growing scepticism is to be seen here in Wales about Wales's future within the United Kingdom. I want to make that case. I wish the Prime Minister had helped me to do so. Here, Scotland's First Minister issues a blunt warning that COVID respects no borders and no age. Confidentiality means that I can't ever go into detail about the people behind the statistics I report every day. But I do want to point out uh, this to you today. Half of the 15 deaths that I have just reported are of people under the age of 80 and a small number of them are of people under the age of 60. 
Please do not ever think that this virus only poses a risk to the lives of the very elderly. It poses a risk to all of us, and I'm asking everybody again to take and treat that risk extremely seriously. And Nicola Sturgeon has not ruled out restrictions along Scotland's border. The UK government has rolled out a three-tier system of restrictions for England. Liverpool is currently in the top tier, with Manchester and London expecting to face potential curfew. Schools in Northern Ireland will close for two weeks, along with pubs, restaurants and hair and beauty salons. Tighter curfews have begun in France, Germany, Italy and Spain, as President Emmanuel Macron declares the second wave of Covid is rolling out. Opinion polls are reference points. They're not the real thing. However, as a reference point, the latest poll for STV shows support for Scotland's independence is at its highest ever. Ipsos Mori shows in its latest survey that 58% of Scots would vote yes in IndyRef 2. It's the highest ever return for independence. 39% know and 6% say they don't know. The SNP leader at Westminster is warning the UK Prime Minister he'll never be forgiven if the furlough scheme is not extended. The Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, still has time to declare an extension, as other European countries have done for their communities. Ian Blackford, SNP, Ross Sky Lachaber, says we face a tsunami of job losses unless the Treasury maintains the programme. There is an alternative, of course. If Boris Johnson doesn't want to do that, Mr Blackford says give Scotland's Finance Secretary Kate Forbes the power to borrow to save Scots from the deluge of unemployment. To the House of Commons and Ian Blackford. Thank you very much Mr Speaker. Yesterday the founder of Brewdog warned the end of the job retention scheme will lead to a tsunami of unemployment. Brewdog is just one of thousands of businesses across Scotland and the United Kingdom demanding that the Tory government U-turn on its reckless plans to scrap the furlough scheme. There are just two weeks left to save people's jobs and livelihoods. So, Prime Minister, in the next fortnight, you have two choices. Extend the full furlough scheme or inflict a tsunami of unemployment on our people this winter. What is the Prime Minister going to choose? Minister. Well, uh, I thank the Right Honourable Gentleman. As he knows, the uh, Chancellor has already unveiled the, the job support uh, s- system uh, scheme, which will go through till uh, next year. And uh, for those on, on, on low incomes, they will also have the additional benefit of universal credit, uh, which again is going through uh, in its uplifted form, a thousand extra per year, uh, through uh, to next April, at least. Ian Blackford. My goodness, Mr Speaker, that answer really does just show that the Prime Minister doesn't get it. Universal credit. Is that really what the Prime Minister is saying to those that could be saved? People don't want to hear of these boasting and the excuses that we get. They want action. And these half measures don't cover it. Thousands have already lost their jobs. The ONS has confirmed the highest rate of redundancies since 2009. We're heading towards a Tory winter of mass unemployment created by the Prime Minister and the Chancellor. We know what the Prime Minister's Tory colleagues are saying. The Prime Minister's next job could be on the back benches. He just doesn't know it yet. If the Prime Minister won't U-turn on his plans to scrap furlough, 
does he realise he will never, not ever be forgiven for the damage he's just about to cause to people up and down Scotland? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, as I, as, I, as I say and I con- I've said many times to the right honourable gentleman, this government is continuing to uh, support people across the whole of the UK, uh, many billions of pounds in Barnet Consequentials, at least £5 billion in Barnet Consequentials uh, for Scotland uh, alone. And, uh, but one thing I will, I will congratulate him on is the Scottish Nationalist Party's support for the tiered approach. Uh, which I think is still uh, their policy, uh, Mr Speaker, unlike uh, the party opposite. At least they're showing some, some vestige of, of consistency in their normal gelatinous behaviour. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. Now, how's it going getting your flu jab? GPs stopped doing it two years ago and it's now down to your health board to organise. It's emerged Greater Glasgow and Clyde Health Board is targeting young people ahead of senior citizens. The First Minister has already emphasised flu jabs are what she calls an absolute priority this winter. Scottish Care says the approach to getting the jab is piecemeal. A Glasgow GP describes the national rollout as a shambles. The first phase of vaccination is now. The second comes in December. If you're concerned about your jab, and if you can, please go online to NHS Inform for details of how to get your protection. Lawmakers should not be lawbreakers. That's the view of Scottish Labour leader Richard Leonard, who's demanding former SNP MP Margaret Ferrier step down from her Rutherglen and Hamilton West constituency. Ms Ferrier felt unwell on a Saturday, had a Covid test, carried out a range of public events, then travelled from Glasgow to the House of Commons. She learned on a Monday she was Covid positive. The next day she took a train back to Glasgow. Every step she made is against the regulations. She now claims COVID muddled her mind. And to be fair, I suggested that on this programme two weeks ago. Nicola Sturgeon says Margaret Ferrier must resign. She refuses to do so. She now sits as an independent and voted by proxy in the Commons this week with the help of a former Plaid Cymru MP currently suspended from his party. Labour leader Richard Leonard has raised a petition to help spark a by-election and force a vote in Rutherglen and Hamilton West. Any member of parliament is elected to um, to make laws. If you so flagrantly flout such a fundamental law that's affecting so many people and is requiring so many of the people you represent in parliament to make such huge sacrifices, then uh, you know I think you need to uh, look at yourself. And uh, in the case of the actions taken by Margaret Ferrier, I think that they cross over a line beyond which, uh, in my view, um, her position becomes completely untenable. Two Scottish museums have won funding awards in a UK competition. Prizes of £200,000 have gone each to Aberdeen Art Gallery and the Gearlock Museum in Wester Ross. The UK government is planning an internal market bill to replace the life we've known for 40 years with the European Union. That's a body we've left. We're in discussion about our new relationship and we need to get a move on because the transition ends on Hogmanay. The Scottish Conservatives say the internal market bill is good for Scotland. Every other party says it's an attack on devolution and the Scottish Parliament. This week, it emerges, Westminster will be able to overturn the Scottish Government's policy on free tuition for our students if the bill is passed at Westminster. 
The leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Douglas Ross, MP for Moray, voted in its favour. In this special edition of the Week in Holyrood, time for some of the debate at Holyrood. We begin with Scotland's Constitutional Secretary, Michael Russell. Presiding officer, today we are faced with no ordinary decision about whether to give or withhold approval to a Westminster bill. For this debate is actually about a decision regarding the value of this Parliament and the people we serve. And whether we are prepared to stand up for them or allow a UK government to, and I quote, fundamentally overwrite and undermine a material part of the system of devolution that has operated in the UK for more than two decades. That devolution settlement came into being because of a decisive vote by the people of Scotland in 1997. Labour, and I'm happy to acknowledge Scotland's debt to the party and to Donald Dewar, legislated for that devolution referendum, and my party campaigned with them, the Liberal Democrats and the Green Party, in favour of establishing this institution. We did not agree on the process that led to that vote, but when the choice came, the SNP backed what the people of Scotland wanted, and now when that choice is again in front of us, we do so again. I was part of that campaign, working with many, including Alec Rowley, to persuade our fellow citizens to mark their ballot papers with a double yes. And I'm in the same company again, though I do not relish the circumstances. I'm sure that Labour, the Liberal Democrats and the Greens will repeat today their commitment to what the people wanted then, as will we. Our vote will follow our voice. But alas, the Tories, no doubt, will again be true to their stance then, a stance taken directly against the will of the Scottish people. They were against empowering their fellow citizens then, and they're still against doing that 23 years later. Leopards don't change their spots. And having been rejected then, they've gone on being rejected, most recently in last December's Westminster election. Yet despite that, they are still seeking to take a wrecking ball to Scotland's Parliament and Scotland's democracy. That wasn't in their manifesto, but it was clearly in their minds then and always has been. I give way. To the Cabinet Secretary uh, taking an intervention, does he accept that the internal market uh, bill is very much about protecting jobs and investment in Scotland, and that is absolutely critical? Cabinet that, Secretary. But the answer is no, I do not, and indeed the fact checking service proves that that is not the case. But as I said, wrecking Scotland's Parliament was not put to the Scottish people by the Conservatives, but it is what they intended to do, and it is what they are trying to do. Presiding officer, the memorandum before us today makes clear that if the bill becomes law, then the legislative powers of the Scottish Parliament and the executive competence of Scottish ministers, as they've been understood since 1998, would in many cases cease to exist. But as well as an assault on devolution, this bill is a recipe for regulatory incoherence and a race to the bottom. It is also a breach of international law. Presiding officer, the fundamental principle of the ministerial code is that ministers must not knowingly break the law. That in itself is an incontrovertible reason why Scottish ministers cannot recommend legislative consent for the bill, but I would also argue that no member of a Scottish parliament elected to serve the people of Scotland could ever recommend consent to such a bill. Members will be familiar with the main provisions, but let me me go through them. The bill contains sweeping new blanket mutual recognition and non-discrimination provisions at parts one and two. And these would require Scotland to accept lower standards relating to food, as pointed out by Food Standards Scotland, to the environment, as pointed out by Environment Link, and building materials, as pointed out by the Royal Incorporation of Architects. And those, regardless of the views of the Parliament or the wishes of the people of Scotland, and the scope of those powers can be unilaterally changed by UK ministers and only by UK ministers. 
There are new measures for mutual recognition of professional qualifications that cause grave concern to bodies such as the General Teaching Council. There's a new oversight body tasked with second-guessing the policy choices of this Parliament, including in things like in the public services like the health service or public water supplies. Measures at Part 5 of the bill break international law and betray a cynical disregard for Northern Ireland, which has already alienated many, including the EU. There are sweeping new spending powers in Part 6 that threaten the devolved Scottish bu budget and transfer decision-making over areas of devolved spending from the Scottish to the UK government. State aid will be reserved, which could affect, for example, agricultural subsidy, and the whole Act would be placed permanently beyond the powers of this Parliament to mitigate or ameliorate. For those reasons, the bill is wholly unacceptable and should be rejected. The deceit practised by the UK Government with regard to this bill is now a matter of public record, thanks to yesterday's leak of documents that show the truth about how it was deliberately withheld from the devolved governments. But there have been other deceits too. Firstly, the ridiculous assertion that the bill represents a power surge. The opposite is true, as the explanatory notes make clear. In fact, there will be a new blanket constraint on the exercise of the Parliament's powers and the scope of the constraints can be adjusted at any time at the discretion of UK ministers, regardless of other views. Secondly, there are the repeated assurances that the bill will not lead to a race to the bottom in standards. But the UK currently enjoys high standards by virtue of EU laws still applying during the transition period. Under the bill, should Scotland wish to maintain those standards, we'd be forced still to recognise lower standards set elsewhere in the UK. And the UK government has blocked... No, I will not. The UK government has blocked... Because I'm just coming to one of your key assertions. The UK government has blocked every proposed move to provide legal guarantees that high environmental, animal welfare and food safety standards would prevail. Thirdly, let me rebut the claim that this bill is necessary merely in order to replace at UK level the system of UK market rules. In fact, the bill introduces a system of unqualified powers for UK ministers to effectively impose rules on the whole of the UK, even in devolved areas, which is the very opposite of the principle of co-decision and agreement between sovereign member states that lies at the heart of the EU rules. EU single market rules also recognise policy objectives alongside market considerations, and the principles of subsidiarity and proportionality are crucial aspects of them. And finally, let me talk about jobs. Mr Lockhart's amendment talks about the 550,000 jobs being protected by this bill. Nonsense. In fact, nonsense on stilts, as exposed in the ferret fact-checking website last night. Presiding officer, or oh, they don't like the truth. Presiding officer, at the end of December, the UK and Scotland will leave the Brexit transition period. The transition is ending because of the astonishing and reckless decision of Boris Johnson to refuse an extension that was on offer despite the fact of a global pandemic and a deep economic recession. Yet even at this late stage, the possibility of leaving in the worst possible way with no deal remains. And even if there is a deal, it will be a low deal, vastly inferior to what we experience now and hugely disadvantageous to business and disruptive to everyday life. So, presiding officer, the real jobs threat comes not from the devolved administrations, but from the Brexiteer ultras who have captured the Conservative Party and those in this chamber who have meekly accepted their writ, no doubt because it saves their own jobs. The way to avoid all this damage is not only clear but to hand. We can do so by returning to the voluntary common frameworks process devised by the devolved governments in the UK 
which, despite our differences over EU exit, has been able to make progress over the last few years. Frameworks are based on principles of equal negotiation and agreement. If there are any missing areas, as claimed by Michael Gove very late in the day, we commit ourselves to closing those gaps. We're also willing to act as if all the frameworks were already in force whilst they're being finalised. And I think the same commitment is being made in Wales. So if the UK does that, we could move on from this present impasse and the deepening crisis. Presiding officer, this bill is not only unacceptable to the devolved governments, it is also unacceptable to a wide range of organisations and individuals across Scottish society who are deeply worried. Now, of course, there are differing views of Scotland's ultimate constitutional destination across this chamber. But regardless of those views, we can come together today. We can say on behalf of the people of Scotland that we do not consent to this bill. We can stand up against this Tory power grab and urge the UK government to change course. And therefore, presiding officer, I move that the Parliament agrees not to consent to the United Kingdom Internal Market Bill as it reduces and constrains the competence of this Scottish Parliament and breaches international law. Thank you very much. And I now call on Bruce Crawford to open on behalf of the committee. Convener, please. It's with some regret that I speak on behalf of only eight members of the committee this afternoon. As members know, I've always sought as a convener to try where possible to reach a consensus on committee reports, and in the main, we managed to do so. However, there's a clear division of views between the majority of the committee and our Conservative Party colleagues on the UK Internal Market Bill. This is disappointing, given that the other eight members on the committee have agreed that the bill undermines the whole basis of devolution. Our view is that the devolution cannot work if the Westminster government simply imposes its view on how the UK constitutional arrangements should evolve following Brexit. The committee is dismayed that the UK government has instead adopted a hierarchical approach through which its default position is to impose new limitations on devolution, which go way beyond the previous limitations of EU membership. The committee's view is that devolution cannot work on the basis of a Westminster government imposing its view on how the UK constitutional arrangements should evolve following Brexit. The committee therefore recommends that the Parliament does not agree consent to the UK Internal Market Bill, presiding officer. Thank you very much, Mr Crawford. I now call on Dean Lockhart to speak to move Amendment 22955.1 on behalf of the Conservatives. Mr Lockhart. Thank you very much, Deputy Presiding Officer. I move the amendment in my name. There's been a lot of noise surrounding the UK internal market proposals, but surely the priority, when further restrictions have just been announced on economic activity, must be to protect the 550,000 jobs and livelihoods and the 60% of trade that depend on barrier-free access to the UK internal market. That's certainly the view of key stakeholders, such as the CBI and the NFUS, who have given evidence the internal market is extremely important, more important than the EU market and the rest of the world put together. And, President Officer, that's also our priority. On the other side of this debate, I do recognise there are legitimate questions over how these proposals might work in practice, but too much focus 
has been on constitutional scaremongering and on hypothetical concerns. Take, for example, paragraph 13 of the LCM, which claims that the bill will result in declining standards. What, what the Cabinet Secretary referred to as the race to the bottom, a claim utterly devoid of any factual evidence, because the inconvenient truth for the SNP is that the UK Government has introduced higher domestic standards than the EU across a vast range of areas. Uh, just weeks ago, the first major, let me make progress, the, just weeks ago, in the first major free trade agreement signed following Brexit, the economic partnership with Japan, far from lowering standards, this deal goes way beyond the scope of the EU-Japan free trade agreement and has increased the number of protected geographical indications for Scottish produce, meaning that Scottish salmon, cheese, wool and beef will now have much higher levels of protection in the Japanese market. And in relation to the SNP's poster child for lowering standards, the proposed free trade agreement with the US, when I challenged Ivan McKee at committee to give real examples of his concerns about these lower standards, his response was, and I quote, all concerns are hypothetical. So there we have it, presiding officer. A long history, as well as very recent examples of high standards being adopted by the UK government, in direct contrast and in contradiction to the hypotheticals we have heard from the other side. Finally, Member is officer, winding up. The Scottish motion today refers to a breach of international law, and perhaps that's what the member wanted to intervene on. It refers to a breach of international law. On this very issue, let me quote what Mr Russell told the committee last week. There's, and I quote directly, there is nothing unlawful about the House of Commons preparing a bill it should never have come to the House, but that is not the same as it being illegal. For once, I agree with the Cabinet Secretary. And you must conclude there. I'm concluding, Presiding Officer, by emphasising the vital importance of this Parliament protecting jobs and livelihoods during this crisis. And that's why we will be voting for the legislative consent motion at decision time. Thank you. I now call Nalik Rowley to open for Labour. Thank you, Presiding Officer. In opening this debate for Labour today, I want to make clear that we will not give consent to the United Kingdom Internal Market Bill. And let me be clear. We will not give support to any measures that reduce and constrain the competence of the Scottish Parliament. As a political party, Labour is committed to devolution. And for the avoidance of doubt, this bill is a full-on attack on the, the existing devolution settlement. Devolution has worked for Scotland. And with such economic uncertainty as we face right now, it is further devolution that is required to build back a better Scotland. However, instead of taking the best course of action to protect the UK internal market through the collaboration and cooperation of all nations, we have a take-it-or-leave-it approach from Boris Johnson and his Tory chums. And make no mistake, those Tory chums, including the Scottish Tories sitting in this chamber today, will put Johnson and his interests before the interests of the people of Scotland. So to all those worried about the future of Scotland, I say the greatest threat to the future of Scotland, its economy and its relationship with the rest of the United Kingdom is Boris Johnson and all those Scottish Tories that have lined up 
behind them blind loyalty. And that is why I say the Tory party want to detract from the real issues in this bill by claiming the argument is about independence. It has nothing to do with independence, but everything to do with the UK Government removing powers from the Scottish Parliament and ultimately from the Scottish people. We need to think again. That would be anyone but Johnson and Johnson's Tories. I say think again. Thank you very much, Mr Rowley, and I call on Patrick Harvey to the Green Party. Thank you, Presiding Officer. This has been an extraordinary process leading to an extraordinary bill which poses an extraordinary threat to us all. The process cut right through the discussion of common frameworks and began with a consultation, a short consultation, which could not have been more perfectly timed to coincide with the parliamentary recesses in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. It involved a refusal of the Secretary of State responsible for the bill to come and give evidence. It included no draft bill for consultation, and it includes a clear threat to legislate without consent of this Parliament. To legislate, to pass this bill in defiance of a refusal to consent to it by this Parliament, it will make the case for a second independence referendum unanswerable, because this bill does one thing very clearly. It exposes the reality of the choice Scotland faces, and in the context of the current UK Government, that choice is between direct rule and independence. Thank you very much, Mr Harvey. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. And I now call Willie Rennie to the Liberal Democrats. Uh, thank you, Deputy President Officer. Um, this legislation emerged from a hurried white paper in the summer and has been blasted through Westminster at high speed. The bill exists to smooth a trade deal with the United States of America. It gives UK ministers the power to sweep away objections from devolved administrations on matters like food safety and environmental safety. I have been astonished to hear UK ministers say that the Northern Ireland protocol was done in haste, so cannot be relied upon. Those very same ministers are rushing through this legislation at breakneck timetable and a strong arm guillotine, and they don't even blush. I was very interested in the expert witnesses at the committee. Professor Dugan wrote in his submission that many trade systems that rely on mutual recognition also incorporate multiple safeguards into its application. There are none in this bill. Professor Keating has pointed out in his evidence most systems with internal markets would be federal with each of the different administrations having a say. But this bill gives power to one Secretary of State. I would prefer joint ministerial committees to be up and running with a dispute res resolution process to keep the internal market moving. With the frameworks agreed by all four administrations, then the detailed implementation can be left to the individual administrations, safe in the knowledge that the fundamentals of the internal market are protected. My colleague on the committee, Beatrice Wisher, asked about fire safety standards. She pointed out that Peter Drummond from the Royal Incorporation of Architects said that Scotland's most robust fire safety regulations could fall foul of the bill. If we wanted to change or toughen its existing standards, the bill would appear to come into force against it. 
Now, in response, the UK government said we will continue to be able to set our own regulations. But as the expert witness, Professor Dugan, pointed out, technically speaking, the UK government is correct, but only if we totally ignore the bill that we are talking about. So you would have thought that it would be a pretty high-ranking official office holder of the Boris Johnson fan club to think that this is an honest piece of legislation. However, it does seem that we might have a number of those individuals in the chamber today. And that's before we get to the brazen admission that this bill will break international law. So much for the party of law and order. But yet the Scottish Conservatives still stand by this bill. This bill is unnecessary. It is rushed. It is ill-conceived. It will undermine the United Kingdom partnership, will put power in the hands of just one minister and will break international law. This parliament should reject this legislative consent motion and the UK government should withdraw the bill without delay. Thank you very much. I call Keith Brown to be followed by Murdo Fraser. Thank you, President Officer. I will not vote for this Parliament to consent to the UK Government's Internal Market Bill, and I have a number of reasons for that position. The Bill, first of all, uh, by the UK Government's own admission, breaks international law. It may do so in a specific and limited way, but it is state-sponsored law-breaking, and as such, it further chips away at trust and respect and represents a full-scale assault on devolution and the powers of this Parliament. Is it any wonder that the latest Scottish Social Attitude Survey released last week shows that just 15% of those asked trust the UK Government to work in Scotland's interests? And that, President Officer, was before it was revealed that the UK Government is specifically, deliberately and disgracefully keeping secret from the Scottish Government and this Parliament consideration of a number of crucial measures that will directly affect devolved competencies. The respect agenda indeed seems like a long time ago, and not a word of concern did we hear about that from the Tories in this chamber. The internal market bill will lead, in my view, to a race to the bottom in regulations in areas such as health protection, animal welfare or housing and environmental standards. Now, in 1997, the people of Scotland voted overwhelmingly, nearly 75%, in support of a parliament for Scotland. A parliament reconvened after 300 years that was tasked with setting priorities for Scotland. A parliament that's allowed us to take a different path from the UK in so many issues, such as free prescriptions, no tuition fees for students, something lambasted by Tories in this chamber for years, but apparently they now support it, minimum pricing for alcohol and a fairer, more just social security system. Now, we know the Tories never fully got behind devolution, but those in this parliament, as well as members from all other parties, have a duty to defend the devolution settlement and acknowledge the level of contempt that this bill shows the Scottish Parliament and the other devolved nations of the UK. It also demonstrates to me the Tories in this parliament have no expectation, no serious expectation of ever exercising power in Scotland. If they did so, they wouldn't be so happy to cheer the removal of powers from this devolved parliament. No, I won't. I don't have time. Instead, the well, you never gave way to anybody either yourself. Instead, the Tories in this parliament have fallen into line behind Boris. They now support Brexit despite 62% of voters in Scotland opposing it. Just like it was revealed last week that they danced to London's tune when they were told by a Westminster MP to support scrapping the hate crime bill, putting political point scoring above engaging constructively to better the lives of the people of Scotland. 
As with other Brexit-related legislation, the UK Parliament has contemptuously passed laws that affect devolved matters, despite the consent of one or more of the devolved administrations being withheld. Now, I acknowledge, Presiding Officer, there is little hope of a different outcome on this issue. But what there is, is an opportunity for the Tories in this Parliament to stand up, find a spine and say enough is enough. The UK's five living former Prime Ministers, John Major, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, David Cameron and Theresa May, have all spoken out against this bill. Will the Scottish Tories speak out against this bill? I think we know the answer to that. After years ignoring Scotland's interests and its clear democratic wishes, it should come as no surprise to the Tories that the number of Scots backing independence is now at record levels. Indeed, when the power removal, the removal of powers from this parliament was first proposed, the SNP, my party, put on 7,000 members virtually overnight. Such was the outrage at the proposal back over two years ago. And now the number of Scots backing independence is at record levels. And if the UK government imposes this bill on Scotland, it will become ever more evident that the only way to protect Scotland's interests and our place in Europe is to become an independent country. This is, presiding officer, a huge moment in the constitutional development of this parliament. And if this parliament, by a large majority, refuses consent, and Boris Johnson and his acolytes in this parliament ride roughshod over this parliament, then the STUC, as they have said, and as Patrick Harvey referred to, have said that the referendum on independence becomes unanswerable, and we will have that referendum. Thank you. I now call Murdo Fraser to be followed by Annabel Yu. Mr. Fraser. Thank you, uh, Deputy Presiding Officer. Um, with all the hysterical language we've just been hearing about what this bill uh, is about, I think we need to focus on what really matters here, and that is the importance of the UK internal market to Scottish business. And we know, according to the Fraser of Allender Institute, who I think might know a little bit more about this than the ferret, over half a million jobs in Scotland are supported by demand for our goods and services from the rest of the UK. 60% of Scotland's trade is with the rest of the UK, worth over £50 billion a year to the Scottish economy. And we know that trade to the rest of the UK is worth three times as much as trade to the EU single market. And against that backdrop, it's no wonder there have been calls from those involved in business and trade for legislation to ensure that the UK internal market works seamlessly in a post-Brexit environment. The CBI have said preserving the integrity of the single market, the economic glue binding our four nations, is essential to guard against any additional costs or barriers to doing business between different parts of the UK. The Scottish Retail Consortium have said that Scotland benefits enormously from the UK internal market. The National Farmers Union of Scotland have said it is vital for the agricultural industry. Oil and Gas UK have said that regulatory barriers will harm their sector. And Quality Meat Scotland have said they want frictionless trade in the UK to be maintained as far as possible. So there is a clear demand for the legislation before us. And it's disappointing that in the contributions we hear from the other parties in this chamber, there seems to be little recognition for this, of the need for this legislation. This bill also contains the right for UK ministers to spend money directly in Scotland, a measure we should all welcome. With Brexit, we will no longer have EU structure funds, and the UK government has agreed that these will be replaced with direct UK investment in Scotland in exactly the same way as we have seen from the EU in the past. And yet, strangely, SNP politicians seem to object to this extra money, to extra resources coming for their constituents, for infrastructure projects, for cultural projects, for community initiatives. 
They're happy to accept this money when it comes from the EU, but they're so blinkered and prejudiced against the UK. They conclude. would rather turn this money down rather than have it from Thank a UK you. shared resource rather from the EU. Presiding officer, this UK internal market no, no, is no, essential no, no, to Scottish must business. Conclude. For that reason, we should back it and reject Thank you. this nonsense. I call Annabel Ewing, please. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. As we have heard, the UK's bill would impose a series of rules on trade within the UK following the end of the transition period with the EU on 31st December uh, and a likely cliff-edge bre Brexit, a situation, of course, that we in Scotland did not vote for. But, as, as, of course, on Brexit, just as on everything else, our views are ignored and our votes simply disregarded by the UK. And I don't know why the Tory frontbenchers are smirking. The rules to be imposed by the UK government would mean, for example, that state aid powers concerning devolved areas would be taken away to London, that London would take control of key devolved spending powers, and that there would be inevitably a race to the bottom in terms of, for example, food and environmental standards. Indeed, it is quite clear that public policy protections in the bill have been drawn very narrowly and are very limited in scope, and they would not be sufficient to keep out of Scotland cheap imported chlorinated chicken and hormone-injected beef. As Professor Catherine Barnard said in evidence to the Culture, Tourism, Europe and External Affairs Committee on 24 September, and I quote, the mutual recognition principle will drive a coach and horses through any attempts by the Scottish Government to reflect local preferences for not having chlorinated chicken. And Professor Michael Dugan of the University of Liverpool said at the same meeting, and I quote, it means that the market forces that are unleashed by the principle of mutual recognition will not be operating in a neutral manner among England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. The sheer market size of England means that market forces will lead English standards to be prevalent. There we have it, presiding officer, an internal market of Jonah and the whale, with none of the protections we currently benefit from as being part of the EU single market of 500 million uh, people. Presiding officer, the UK Tory government asks us to trust them not to change the status quo and to trust them to consult with us, even though there is no requirement in the bill to do so. This is the same UK Tory government which has such regard for our Scottish government and Scottish Parliament that it scrapped the UK budget statement by Twitter. The same UK Tory government that hid important information about possible food shortages and uh, its stated power grab from the Scottish government. The same UK Tory government that proposes to break international law and renege on commitments given under treaty to our international partners. Presiding officer, this bill represents an unprecedented attack on devolution. The people of Scotland joined together to ensure that we saw our Scottish Parliament reconvened in 1999, and no UK Tory government is going to rewrite our history. In conclusion, presiding officer, I would say to the Tories that we see you, the people of Scotland see you, for there is no respect agenda in this union. There is no trust in this union, and we are certainly not feeling much love anymore, presiding officer. Rather, there is an increasingly hostile environment for Scotland in the union. As the STUC has said about the bill, and I would quote, should the UK government proceed with the bill against the wishes of the Scottish Parliament, it makes the case for a second independence referendum unanswerable. I entirely agree with that statement, presiding officer, and would conclude by saying that it is only with independence that we can take our own decisions 
and determine our own future. Surely that is the better path for Scotland. Thank you, Presiding Officer. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. Thank you very much. And now call on Morris Golden to close to the Conservatives. Mr Golden, please. Uh, thank you, Deputy Presiding Officer. It is important not to lose sight of the most important aspect of this debate, how to protect Scottish jobs, businesses and the economy, a point made expertly by my colleague, Murdo Fraser. The SNP must accept that ignorant anti-UK sentiment will not help Scottish jobs and businesses. A more modern and progressive approach would be engaging constructively with the UK Government on all legislation and other measures being undertaken to safeguard and protect Scottish jobs and livelihoods. Thank you very much, Mr Golden. I call on Michael Russell to close to the Scottish Government. Mr Russell, please. Presiding officer, thank you. Can I make three introductory points which are factually based um, so that Mr Golding can have those facts on the record? One, there is no threat from any of the devolved administrations or governments or parliaments to the continuation of seamless, unfettered trade within the UK. There is no such threat. No Tory has been able to point to such a threat. There is no intention of such a threat. So let's make that clear. Secondly, you do not have to be in the same constitutional structure to trade with your largest customer. If you did, the UK would not be leaving the EU. That is simply reality. And thirdly, this bill is illegal. It contains breaches of international law. It would therefore be against the ministerial code for any minister in this chamber to support this bill. Now, I, I have to say that I, I... No, thank you. No, thank you. I, I have the sound of your voice in my ears enough this afternoon. <laughs> I, I really... I couldn't take any more of it. I'm sorry. Even I have a, a limit to that sort of suffering. Um, I have to say to you that I have a lot of time for some Conservative members. Not many, I have to say. And I'm going to again embarrass Liz Smith because I have a lot of time for Liz Smith. She was my shadow when I was Education Secretary. She regularly called for my resignation. But I got over it, I have to say. And, and therefore, I want, to reflect, I want to reflect on something that she said about the change over the last few years. Now, she said it, unfortunately, I thought, in a somewhat dismissive way, as if I had changed my mind uh, and vacillated on these matters. But actually, I just want to go back to four years ago. And it's useful that Ruth Davidson is sitting behind her, because she herself, uh, on the day after uh, the, uh, the 23rd of June, a period after, was very clear that the, what Scotland should be seeking is the closest possible relationship with the EU and indeed continued membership of the single market and the customs union. Those were the things that united most of these chambers uh, after the 23rd of June. And isn't it extraordinary that just over four years on, what we've actually experienced this afternoon, Tory, Tory members mouthing off about EU, us handing powers to Brussels, attacking alignments on standards, bad-mouthing Europe, essentially painting Europe as the devil incarnate, because that's what we've heard and that's what we hear again and again. Yeah. Also, a huge attack on devolution, an attack on the powers of this Parliament, not about making sure that Scotland could continue to be in the single market and the customs union, but in actual fact that our powers should be diminished. And consider No, no, thank you, no, 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 no. If there's one thing worse than Mr Golding's voice, it was yours. <laughs> I have to say no, absolutely not. Huge attack on devolution... <laughs> Huge attack of... De uh, huge, no. Oh, uh, well, yes. Uh, cab cabinet... Uh, I can't. Sorry, no. Miss, just sit down a wee minute. Cabinet Secretary. 
I'm sure you can do better than that, than to use personal insults. Ms Smith. Thank you, officer. I, I, oh, mean, are you I know... Taking, sorry, Cabinet Secretary, you're taking an intervention I take from Ms Smith. I won't. Yeah, well, that's it now, then. I apologise to you, but if you... No, if it's you not discussion. Fine. Ms Smith, please. I, I won't waste the opportunity. Could I just ask the Cabinet Secretary once again, can he name one single power that is going to be removed from this Parliament? I can indeed. I can Cabinet name Secretary. The, the powers of devolution will be removed. Because, because that is a single or collective power. And, well, I, I want to come on in a moment, presiding officer, to the laughter on the Tory benches, which was deeply unpleasant at times this afternoon and is unpleasant again now. Because the reality is every power that this Parliament has can be second-guessed as a result of this bill. There is no doubt about that. But there's been a huge attack on devolution, and the Tories have been isolated this afternoon as extreme Brexiteers. All of them, all of them have been isolated as extreme Brexiteers, who not only admit the breach of international law, but revel in the breach of international law. And the, most, the, the saddest thing of all of this is the refusal to listen to any and all opinion that has been expressed on this matter. Uh, Mr, Mr Lockhart heard from the committee before he spoke, which made it clear, that, and, and I think Bruce Crawford's final words were, that devolution cannot work if the UK government imposes its view on the devolved nations. He made that clear. They heard from Labour, Alec Rowley saying, think again. They heard from uh, Patrick Harvey, who talked about the decision-making of the UK government. They heard from the Lib Dems, and I really, if ever, can actually not criticise a word of Willie Rennie's speech. I, I enjoy criticising words of Willie Rennie's speeches, and on this occasion I can't, which will put him in deep trouble with Mr Rumbles, but he has my approbation for actually doing that. Then we heard from the Royal Incorporation of Architects of Scotland, the GTC, the NFUS, the SCDI, all dismissed. And indeed, the NFUS, in a very sinister move, were misquoted on what they said. Because they were clear, they were very clear in the, in the submission on the white paper what they felt. But that was brushed aside. Because the reality is that, uh, in the words of an Irving Berlin song, they're all out of step but Jim. They're all out of step except what the Tories believe to be true. And not even they believe it. Because there are people on the Tory benches who know this is deeply wrong. This is deeply wrong. Because this goes well beyond what should be happening. And we heard that in the rather nervous laughter on the Tory benches during the opening speeches. It were, they were giggling like schoolchildren when they'd heard a, a naughty word. But I couldn't actually work out what the naughty word was. Was the naughty word Scotland? Was the naughty word democracy? Or was the naughty word devolution? Because on each of those occasions, they were giggling away at those words. I want to conclude, I want to conclude presiding officer, by making something very clear. There is no doubt, there is no doubt whatsoever from the evidence that the committees have heard, there's no doubt from the bill itself, this is a major attack on devolution. It is illegal, and if it is supported today by the Tories, they are aiding and abetting a hostile Westminster government in undermining this parliament. There are no ifs, there are no buts on this. They are also voting for something that is against international law, and they will know it. And this afternoon, there were three solicitors who sat on the Tory benches, who sat through this, and not one of them referred to the, the legal issues in this bill. That is shocking. I have go back those four years, because four years ago, just after the uh, Brexit referendum, there was a view in this chamber that we could find a way forward for Scotland that preserved something of the valuable things we have from the EU. And now we have a host of ranting Brexiteers who are about, who are about 
Mr. Simpson laughs a host of ranting Brexiteers who are unfortunately undermining this Parliament and the democracy of Scotland. It will not stand. It will not stand. Tom Arthur made that point and I make it again. This is wrong. It should not happen. We should refuse permission and we should continue to oppose this no matter what. Thank you very much.